Thank you. Take your Bibles, please. We are about to start our first series of uh, messages for 2022, so it's kind of exciting. Next Sunday at our annual meeting, you'll hear what the other series will be during the course of the year. But today we introduce the first one, six-part series, and I'll be telling you more about it as we go on uh, this morning. So uh, have your Bibles and your study sheets ready. We all know about storms. What happens after a big storm? You know, uh, people in Houston, people on the coasts of Florida, people in small towns in Kentucky, people in the mountains of California, New Orleans, even here. What happens after a big storm? Unfortunately, sometimes after a big storm in in some of these places, um, you hear a, a lot of complaining, a lot of criticism of how the storm was handled, right? Uh, just watch news after a big storm. And uh, unfortunately, you'll hear a lot of that. Uh, you'll hear a lot of blaming. Everybody wants to blame everybody else as to um, not being ready for the storm or how the storm was handled or what the outcome was of the storm. And so you hear uh, blaming. Sometimes you even have people uh, just uh, packing up and leaving their city, right? You know, I've had it. They they leave New Orleans. They They leave... Florida, they leave the mountains in California, they leave their little town that's been ransacked uh, there in Kentucky. I just don't want to face another storm like that. Uh, The interesting thing is most of those people move to another place that has their own storms periodically. So you really never get away from a storm, do you? Uh, Every place has their own set of of storms. But some people, uh, they, um, they decide to handle the aftermath of a storm that way. But what are the stories after big storms in different parts of the country and world that really get our attention and become great stories? They are the stories of people who, after the storm, come together, right? They come together and uh, they unite and they care for each other and they build up each other, and they start moving forward in rebuilding, right? And uh, they take the things they learned from that experience of the storm that, that maybe they didn't do too well or that they did just totally wrong, and they take those things and they unite together, and they begin to rebuild, and they end up, excuse me for using this term, building back better. They build back better because they choose after the storm to unite and practice that unity by rebuilding something even better and more effective for the next what? Storm. And those are the great stories that we hear. Those are the stories that we we celebrate. Those are the stories that keep a community going. That keep these different cities and small towns going. The stories of uh, this uniting that takes place after a storm. 
Uh, there's a quote on your sheet by an author who says, a crisis might not be a grave. A lot of people look at a crisis as a grave. Oh, it's the end or it's the beginning of the end. But she says, a crisis might not be a grave, but a womb. And she goes on to say in her uh, writing that sometimes a crisis is like something uh, new is born. Something new comes out of that crisis that's fresh and uh, even more effective and even more vibrant. And so, you know, you can look at a crisis like a grave, the end, or you can look at it like a womb where there's going to be something good born out of that crisis. Uh, We've just, and I'm going to say it, come out. We've just come out of two years of a storm, okay? Now, a lot of people would say we're not out of it yet, you know, the COVID storm, that we're not out of it. Well, I'm going to say we're out of it, and there's just going to be bad weather for a long time, okay? We're out of the storm, but there's going to be bad weather, all right? And uh, that storm, along with, as you know, other storms, other situations that have piled on top of it the last two years that have been difficult, uh, have come and gone. But it's been a tough storm, right? We've all been impacted by it one way or another. And uh, I'm going to suggest that 2022 becomes a time when we start um, coming together and building back better. And uh, I'm going to encourage us to unite as a church and begin to practice unity. You're going to hear that phrase a lot in the next six weeks. Practice unity. And I'll explain the significance of that phrase um, in a few minutes as I introduce what we're going to do. But uh, that can be one of the good things that's born out of the last two years for a lot of churches, for all churches. I mean, when we just talk about churches, unfortunately there are churches that are not going to survive coming out of this storm. They already haven't survived. And it's a very unfortunate thing. But I pray that we'll be one of many churches that not only survive, but come out stronger and more effective. And good things are born out of going through that storm. And uh, one of the things that's going to have to happen in order for that to be reality is the practice of unity. And so we're going to talk about that for six weeks. Uh, the, The series is called One, One, and we're going to talk about the subject of oneness, uh, unity as Christians. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus actually prayed for it. Jesus actually prayed that we would practice unity. That must make it pretty important, and we'll look at that prayer next week. Then we're going to spend two weeks continuing to think about Jesus, but to think of Jesus specifically as a unifier. Jesus was a unifier, and he still is because he's still Jesus. And we're going to look at a couple ways that he brings unity, that he has unified. Then we're going to talk about 
uh, the platform on which we as Christians stand that unites us. What is it that creates our unity that we have as Christians? What is that platform we stand on that unites us? And we'll check that out. And then the final message, the sixth, we're going to look at the teachings of Paul. We're going to find that the Apostle Paul had a heart for the practice of unity. It's all over in his writings. And when we look at the heart of Paul as far as the practice of unity, we have to remember that in his writings, he's been inspired by the Spirit of God. We call it God's Word. And so if Paul is sharing a heart for the practice of unity in his writing, that means that the practice of unity is part of the heart of who? God. Because he led the apostle to write those things. And so we're going to look at that heart for the practice of unity uh, as we wrap up the series. But today we're going to introduce it. I just want you to know where we're going and uh, give you some introductory thoughts about this subject. Let's pray first. Our Father, guide us as we go through this series. Father, may we have ears to hear. Uh, may your Spirit uh, just bring to our minds the truth, your heart, your desire for your people. Thank you for the unity that we have. Thank you that we aren't here trying to learn how to create unity. It's already been created. We have it. Father, teach us these weeks the importance of and how to practice unity and to live it out. Father, that's our desire. And may it be something that will uh, give birth to some really good things, some really important things that will glorify and honor you throughout this year. That's our desire. And Father, begin to work that work in our lives now, today. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like you to turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. If there is a theme, verse, or passage for this six-part series, it would be here in Psalm 133. Let me read it for you. First of all, notice, just to get some context here, in most of your Bibles, before the psalm begins, it may say something like a song of ascents of David. You have that there? A song of ascents. And if you look at the psalms before it and after, there are also songs of ascent. There's a, a section here in the psalms, which are a, a hymnal for the Jewish people. That's what the psalms are. Um, but this section is called Songs of Ascent. Ascent meaning going up. And these are songs that the people of Israel would sing together as they were journeying up to Jerusalem for different uh, feasts, uh, celebrations, observations, um, like Passover, uh, Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, uh, the Day of Atonement, their New Year, and, and other special events. And when they were journeying to uh, Jerusalem 
for these events, they would sing. Anybody here sing in the car on their way to church? Anybody do that? Uh, please don't put NPR on your radio when you're coming to church. Put some Christian music on and get yourself ready. Have some songs of ascent, right? Now, you're not ascending up to Jerusalem. You're kind of ascending down into the swamp of embarrassed. But, but sing. That's what the Jewish people did. And they used these songs. And the idea was they were so excited. They were anticipating what they were going to experience together as fellow Jewish people came from all directions to Jerusalem. And they came in anticipation, singing, because there was something they had in common with all these Jewish people that were gathering in Jerusalem. And they were going to celebrate what they had in common. On Passover, they were going to celebrate the deliverance from Egypt, right? At Pentecost, they were going to celebrate the harvest. At the Feast of Tabernacles and Booths, they were going to celebrate how God took care of them through their wanderings in the wilderness and how they had to every day set up booths and set up tabernacles to sleep in. On the Day of Atonement, their new year, they were celebrating the fact that there was forgiveness. It was a time of celebrating their unity what they all shared in common as Jewish people. And singing these songs were part of the anticipation of experiencing what united them. See, that's why I encourage you to sing on the way to church. Celebrate with anticipation the fact you're going to gather as a people who are united. And you're going to practice that unity together in one place. So this was a, a song of ascent. So picture a group of Jewish people making their journey down the road to Jerusalem, anticipating what's going to happen when they get there. And this is what they sing. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's one of the songs that they sang as they journeyed and anticipated getting to share with their fellow Jews what they held in common. The first statement of that psalm is going to be our theme for this series and actually for the entire year. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And you're not going to be able to get away from that statement. If you haven't noticed it, it's above the main entrance of our church. Did you see it? 
that statement all year long will be right above the main entrance. And I challenge you, every time you enter this building in the next year, pause for a moment to read that statement. And think about it as you enter. It's going to be our theme, specifically of this series. You'll also notice it's on the front of your directory. See, you're not going to be able to get away from it. Did you notice the cover? This theme is on that as well. And throughout the year, if you go to our Facebook page, you probably won't be able to get away from it. It'll be there somewhere. You go to our website this year, somewhere you'll find that. We do not want it to get away from you. It's going to haunt you. Hopefully it will encourage you. We want to be reminded of what? The statement. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. The psalm goes on then to illustrate that statement. Two illustrations. We know it, Hermeneutics class, because it says like or as if. And so you have two illustrations of what? How good and pleasant it is for God's people to live together in unity. The first illustration, verse 2, David says, It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. David says, that's what it's like when God's people live together in unity. When they practice unity. They live together in unity. That's what it's like. And you read that and you think, oh, what's so good about that? Oil running down Aaron's beard. <laughs> oh, I just looked over at uh, J.J. there, and first guy I saw with a beard. And I'm trying to visualize oil running down his beard and onto his collar and, and down his shirt. Again, Herman News class, I make my observation. I notice it's talking about the oil that ran down from Aaron's beard what am I going to do eventually? i got to find out what that's all about. Because the writer is saying, God's people living together in unity is as good and pleasant and precious as that oil running down Aaron's beard. i, I got to figure this out. i got to find out what he's talking about. And I did. Turn with me to Exodus 30. Exodus chapter 30. <clears throat> rather obscure passage but very important to understanding Psalm 133 and this illustration of that statement about living together in unity if you start in verse 22 of Exodus 30 
what you're going to find here is instructions from God for an oil. Uh, it's called an anointing oil. Instructions as to how to make it. And then that oil would be used to anoint Aaron and the other priests. Okay? And it's kind of cool. To make this anointing oil, they were to take some myrrh, that perfume, that, that liquid, and they were to put it together with fragrant cinnamon. Are you a lover of the fragrance of cinnamon like I am? They were to take cinnamon, mix it with myrrh, also with a fragrant cane and some cassia. These are all fragrances. These are all uh, certain liquids taken from different plants. They were to take all of that, mix it together, and they were then to put it in olive oil. So you take these four items, the fragrances, put it in the olive oil and mix it together. And he says, verse 25, make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. And the text goes on to say, no one is allowed to make oil like this, the same mixture. No one is to use this particular mixture, this oil, for anything else. For their own personal benefit, it's prohibited. He says this will be the sacred, the set-apart anointing oil. The only purpose it will have is to anoint Aaron and the other priests to set them apart for their ministry. It was a very special oil. <clears throat> very special. And so David says in this song, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like that special anointing oil, that sacred oil. When it's poured on Aaron and the priests, poured on their head, and you can just smell the fragrance, that pleasing fragrance, the cinnamon, the myrrh, mixed with olive oil, running down the priest's head onto the beard and down on the collar of the robe and continuing. It was a very special, meaningful thing. You see what David is saying about God's people living together in unity? It is very special. It is very sacred. It's good. It's pleasant. It's precious. That's what he's saying. And illustrating it by using the picture of the sacred anointing oil. He gives one more illustration of 
the people of God living together in unity. Verse 3, he says, it, God's people living together in unity, is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Again, Hermon News class, I see that. I observe it's there. Hermon, what's Hermon? Uh, Mount Zion, what's Mount Zion? If I don't know, I need to find out, right? Because David is comparing how good and pleasant God's people living together in unity is to the dew of Mount Hermon. And what you find out is that Hermon was a mountain, 9,000 feet high in northern Israel. Mount Hermon, 9,000 feet. And in Israel, in that part of the world, especially from May to October, that time of the year, it tends to be very hot and very dry, climate-wise. Very uncomfortable. But because Mount Hermon is 9,000 feet high, every morning there's all kinds of dew up there. Because it's so high, you have the warm air and the cool surface meeting each other constantly. And it creates this refreshing dew. And David says, God's people living together in unity is like if you would take during this hot time of the year, and dry time of the year in Israel, if you would take this refreshing dew up on Mount Hermon and you would pour it down on Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Refreshing, right? Hot, dry, uncomfortable. And if you were to take that cool, refreshing dew from up on Mount Hermon and just pour it out on Jerusalem. How refreshing, good, pleasant. And David says, God's people living together in unity is like that. It's as if it's as if the dew from Mount Hermon has been just poured out. And so what he's saying is, and the Jews would understand this, and they're singing it as they go to Jerusalem. It's good. It's pleasant. It's special. It's precious. It's refreshing when God's people live together in unity. You get it? How good God's people living together in unity can be. And the psalm, the song, ends with blessing. That there is blessing when this is happening. When God's people are living together in unity, there's blessing. Good things happen. There are good results. There's blessing. So that psalm is going to be our theme for this series. And that first statement, pretty much something we want to keep coming back to all year long in 2022. Let me tell you four things about unity, and then our introduction will be over. First of all, uh, unity, when we talk about it, and we'll keep kind of defining it and, and uh, adding to this as we go through the series, but uh, 
Unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean everybody looks alike. Everybody is exactly alike. Uh, unity, as far as Christians are concerned, doesn't mean we're clones of one another, that type of thing. <clears throat> it's not <clears throat> uniformity. Unity is the idea of sharing something in common. Unity is the idea of a group of people who have something important in common that brings them together as one. Okay? It, it unites them. That's unity. And the important thing for today that we have to understand is that Christian unity is not something that we are asked to create. It's not something we as Christians are asked to put into place, make happen. Unity has been put into place. Unity has been created by God already. Unity is positional. When a person trusts Jesus Christ for salvation... That person is brought into this unity. Unity is positional. You see, unity is about being part of the same kingdom. <clears throat> same kingdom. Kingdom of God, right? Everyone who has come to Christ through faith has been placed in the kingdom, the same kingdom. There's only one kingdom. And that creates a unity. Uh, all Christians are in the same family, the family of God. That's our unity. That's what unites us. There's only one family of God. And every Christian is in that family. Position. That's our unity. There's one body, the body of Christ, right? And there are many parts to it. We're all parts of it if we are believers. And we have different roles in the body of Christ, but there's one body. That's our unity. That's what unites us. It's a position. There's the church, the assembly of the called out ones. There's one church. And every Christian is a part of that one church, the same church. That's what unites us. It's positional. We're called the bride of Christ. We're not the brides of Christ, plural. There's one bride of Christ. It's the group. United. And so, the first thing we need to understand is that unity for Christians is not something we are responsible to create and make happen. It's already been done. It's positional. We are united. We have unity. What we're going to talk about in these studies is number two. Unity is relational. And that's where the practice of unity comes in, that phrase. We are responsible to practice the unity. God created the unity. Through salvation, God positionally puts us into that unity, we are responsible to practice. Notice, again, what um, that theme verse says in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's about how you're living together. You don't have to create the unity. It's there. 
You see, the Jewish people already were united. They were Jewish people, one nation, God's nation. David is talking about living together in unity, practicing unity. That's relational. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So, Nathan, I'm giving your Sunday school class equal time along with the hermeneutics class. Philippians chapter 2, and your class probably knows much more about this text than I do now. But uh, we'll be coming back to this text later in the series. But just as part of the introduction, this relational part of unity. Uh, Philippians 2.1. Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, does that encourage you at all? To be united with Jesus? To have a relationship with him? I hope it does. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, does the love of Christ give you any comfort? I mean, have you experienced the comfort of knowing Jesus loves you? If any fellowship with the Spirit or partnership with the Spirit, have you ever experienced the Holy Spirit working in your life as a Christian? That partnership, that fellowship with the Holy Spirit, As he works, we were inviting him to do that in the first song, weren't we, Amanda? We weren't inviting him to come because he wasn't here. We were inviting him to work. Paul says, have you experienced that? Fellowship in the Spirit? He says, do you have any tenderness or compassion in you at all? If so, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Practice unity. And it's relational. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Get rid of your ego, your selfishness, your pride. That's not practicing unity. Instead, verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. That's relational. That's how you practice unity. Before that, he talks about seeing others as better than yourself. Don't don't put yourself above others. That's relational. That's how you view people. That's how you treat people. And so when Paul talks about unity, he's not saying create unity. Unity is positional. He's talking about the relational aspect of unity. Practice the unity. Live it out together. It's relational. And that's the part of unity that we'll talk about in these six weeks. Unity is also observable. People tend to know if a group is practicing unity or not. Uh, You football fans, those of you who watch football, you can observe if a team is practicing unity or not, can't you? You know, all those players are on the same team. They don't have to create unity. It's already there for them. It's positional. They're a member of the team. They're part of the unit. I mean, they even call it the offensive unit, the defensive unit, the special teams unit. See, the team is a, a unit. They're already experiencing unity positionally. Same team. Same coach, same owner, 
same purpose, same goal. You know, they already have unity, but they need to practice it relationally. They need to get out on the field and each person do their role and they need to uh, treat each other properly and they need to work together, right? And when a team is working together and practicing unity, it's really fun to watch, isn't it? It's so neat to just watch how it all works together because they're practicing unity. But sometimes you see teams that aren't practicing unity. And it's a mess. And they miss the playoffs. And so we're going to talk about practicing unity. And it's observable. People can tell if a group is practicing unity or not. There's a quote there on your sheet by Paul Miller. He says, unity is the skin of love. It's what people see. If a group isn't practicing unity, people know it. They see it. And next week we're going to find out that that was really important to Jesus. When we look at John 17 and Jesus praying that his people would practice unity, praying for oneness among his people, the reason he gives is because people are observing. And it sends a message if God's people are living together in unity. It's observable. And finally, it's desirable. Living together in unity is desirable. Next week we'll find out Jesus desires it. Later we'll find out the Apostle Paul desired it, which means God desired it because his writing was inspired by God. I can confidently say I desire it, that God's people live together in unity. And as we begin the series, my question is, do you desire it? I don't know why you wouldn't, because God's people living together in unity is good. It's pleasant. It's precious. It's special. It's refreshing. It sends a good message, a powerful message. I hope it's desirable to you. I hope you desire what we're going to talk about, living together in unity. Two application questions as you begin to think about this and we prepare to head into the series. Number one, what have you contributed to the practice of disunity during the past storm? Of the last couple of years. I want you to be honest with yourself. I've had to be. What have you contributed. To the practicing of disunity. In the last couple of years. Ask God. God show me. Have I contributed something to the practice of disunity. Among your people. Show me. And if he does, help you identify it, address it. Address it. Second question, what will you contribute to the practice of unity as we move out of the storm of the last two years and just face the bad weather? But 
What will you? Ask God, what do you want me to do, God? What do I need to do to be a person who will be contributing in this next year to the practice of unity? I do not want to contribute to the practice of disunity. I want to contribute to the practice of unity because that's what Jesus wanted. That's what you want, God. That's what I want. Um, Show me what I can contribute to the practice of unity. Finally, and you can read this on your own, write it down, Romans 14, 17 to 19. Romans 14, 17 to 19. It's Paul's way of saying what that last quote on your sheet says. The quote on your sheet is, these are heavy times. They are, right? These are heavy times. But there is kingdom work to be done. There's kingdom work to be done. And in Romans 14, Paul is talking about disagreements even among God's people. Unity isn't agreeing on everything. That's not part of what unity is. Um, Unity is practicing it relationally even in your disagreements. And as Paul talks about that in Romans 14, he says, hey, the kingdom of God is about joy. It's about peace. It's about building each other up. It's about practicing the unity you have been given. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And we can't let the heavy times and all the stuff distract us from the work, the kingdom work that needs to be done. And that's why churches are here, is to do kingdom work. And part of doing kingdom work is practicing Unity. Living it out. Living together. Because how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask you to guide us in the weeks ahead as we think more about this and look further into what your word says about this. Father, I pray that just today would whet our appetite, get us thinking, um, maybe even identifying some things, seeking you. Uh, Father, whatever it is, uh, uh, just put those things on our mind, Lord, this week, and then prepare us to to really learn and be equipped and um, built up in uh, how we can practice the unity that you have so graciously and powerfully created for us belong to you. It's our desire. We want to experience that which is good and pleasant and refreshing and and special. The practice of unity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.